She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch, an X-Files adjacent podcast. Paul. Paul was written by and stars Simon Pegg as Graham Willey and Nick Frost as Clive Gollings. Written by both of them. Yeah, they both wrote it. They both star in it. It was a joint effort. This movie also stars Jason Bateman as Special Agent Zoyle, Kristen Wiig as Ruth Bugs, Bill Hader as Agent Haggard, Joe Lotruglio as Agent O'Reilly, and he also played the Paul Sandin on set. Mm-hmm. Blythe Danner as Tara Walton, John Carroll Lynch as Moses Bugs, who is Ruth's father, Sigourney Weaver as quote unquote the big guy, and Seth Rogen, who plays the voice of Paul. He apparently did some mocap filming as well, either in pre or post production, but he was not on set. So that was why Joe was standing in for him. Yes. And Joe Latrugo is a smaller person too. Which kind of, he is. Not, yeah. He, he, he's a normal sized person, but he is shorter. So, yeah. yeah. It was directed by Greg Motola. He has credits before and after Paul, but it seems like 2007 to 2011 like was like his spotlight period. In 2007, he directed Superbad, which was written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and included Michael Sarah, Seth Rogen and Bill Hader in their cast. So we got some overlap there. In 2009, he directed Adventureland, which he also wrote and included Jesse Eisenberg, who honestly, I always get Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah mixed up. I think they're <laughs> the same person. So <laughs> they look really similar. I actually <laughs> I know Jesse Eisenberg as the guy who did the narration for Holly Black's Curse Workers audiobook series. And that's that's like the thing I know him from most. So I didn't even know what he looked like. And then like that Facebook movie came out and I was like, oh, that's Jesse Eisenberg. Weird. Yeah. But he does. He looks like Michael Sarah. Yeah. And then also included Bill Hader and Kristen Wig. So again, he likes to get that overlap going. Yeah, and I have seen neither of those movies either. Me neither. I haven't seen either of them. Yeah. Yeah. The film premiered on February 7th, 2011 in London. And then it had a general UK release on February 14th, 2011. So a week later on Valentine's Day, it was released in the UK in general. Had the premiere on the 7th, general release on the 14th. And then it wasn't released in the United States until March 18th of 2011. I remember this was a weird thing where they were doing this all the time. When Shaun of the Dead came out, I actually bought a UK DVD of it and watched it before it was released in the United States. Like oh, in funny. That's and then funny. we and then we went and saw it in the theater also. Yeah, I Even saw it in the movie, theater, but yeah, that's funny that you had seen it. So, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, you don't really like zombie stuff, so I'm kind of no, surprised. I like, I like that movie, but no, it gave me <laughs> yeah, it gave me nightmares for well over a month, if not yeah. longer. So, yeah, I did, I did see Paul in theaters, too. I remember I, I watched it when it came okay. out. So. The theatrical run of this film was 104 minutes. The DVD version is 109 minutes, which means we have now watched three movies in a row that are 109 minutes, which yeah. is freaky. <laughs> also, freaky. also, we left this out of the communion thing because I could not figure out what the deal was. 
One, when we watched communion, we said it was 109 minutes long. I had originally seen that it was 104 minutes long. And then I saw that our version of it was 109 minutes long. And I tried to find out what was going on and I could not find. And like one place said it was 104, one place said it was 109. My copy that I ripped from the DVD said 109. So I'm like, it's 109. I didn't go into the difference because I couldn't find anything. After we recorded, I did find out they added footage for the DVD release, which is why it was 109, which is exactly what happened in this case, because Ooh. they're both 104, 109 minutes, which is really weird. This one, it seems like there isn't actually like extra footage so much as they just the scenes are longer. They didn't trim the scenes down as much. So it's, it's actually not like a scene that didn't exist. It's just they like the scene is a little bit longer kind of they thing. let it go on for like 30 more seconds and then the next yeah. scene had like an extra 40 mm-hmm. or whatever yeah and it's more it seems to be more about like character development maybe some dialogue stuff okay whereas in communion they actually did have like the scene where alex tells him about the beans in russia the little folktale story mm-hmm. that part was not in the theatrical release oh. um the part where they're da- at the end when they're when he's dancing with the aliens the part that they're all jamming and dancing that was not in the original release and then also apparently in the original release, when they're all like, go, I don't know if this is in the scene where they go up to the roof or if it's the end part, that's like a music video. But in one of those parts, when they go up at night, the stars form like an alien head. <laughs> they cut that out of the DVD release. So that's okay. That's a good job. I'm glad you cut that out. But yeah, but yeah, we didn't mention the communion, but it's very freaky. We know I've watched three movies in a row that are 109 minutes and two of them were actually 104 minutes, and then on DVD, they're 109 minutes, so it's very strange. Weird, weird little coincidence, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 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 So we open, and it says, Moorcroft, Wyoming, 1947. And then we see, like, the inside of, like, a house or something, and we're guessing it must be July based on the calendar we see. And then there's, like, lights in the sky, and a dog is sniffing the door, and there's lights under the door, and a young girl lets the dog out to go outside. And the dog's all looking up at the sky and she's like calling for the dog and she goes outside and a UFO comes and crashes and we don't see it, but we hear it. It sounds like it landed on the dog and killed the dog. I know, poor puppy. Yeah. And as with Indiana, Jones, not the state, they named the dog Paul. Just so you Mm. know. Yeah. She's calling. She's like, Paul, Paul. And then, you know, UFO lands on him. Very sad. Very sad. So then we're in San Diego, California, and it's present day. And Graham Willie and Clive Goings are British comic book fans slash sci-fi enthusiasts, and they're best friends. And they have traveled to the United States to attend the annual San Diego Comic-Con. So they're like on the sidewalk and there's some cosplayers around them. And then we see them like go through the con and have a great time. Um, the Comic-Con looks pleasantly uncrowded and unchaotic. Like there's people around, but like they can get to things without having to push through crowds. And like, there's not really massive lines that we see, which is not the reality of any large Comic-Con, yeah. certainly not San Diego Comic-Con. They're in the but, front seat of presentations. taking. Yeah. Photos. I mean, <laughs> I, I have friends. I had a friend who wrote a blog post like 10 years ago about getting into Hall H and like how she had to sleep on the sidewalk and stuff just to get into the hall for the present for like a panel that was like 3 p.m. But she had to like sit through everything because like, yeah, that is that is too much for me. Those kind of conventions are too big for me, but they're in a movie so they get to have a good time and not have to worry about all that chaos. Mm-hmm. They see Tweaky and- from 
Buck Rogers in the 20th century, mm-hmm. and they see a lot of slave Princess Leia. Yeah, they take a cosplay. photo with some slave Leia cosplayer girls, mm-hmm. and they they do all the con stuff. Like they sit at panels, yeah. they go, to, they see like a robot that looks like it might be from Doctor Who, that kind of thing. No, that's that's Tweaky from. Oh, is that Tweaky? Oh, see, that's I don't tweaky. know. I know Doctor Who. That's Tweaky. Okay. No, no, that's Tweaky from Buck gotcha. Rogers in the 25th century. I don't even know that. Okay. Oh so my maybe. god, it was a movie and then a TV show. Okay. But anyway, they see a whole bunch of cool stuff. And then they're standing in line to meet their hero, who is an author named Adam Shadowchild. And when they get up to the front of the line, he, you know, takes their book to sign and Clive shows him a copy of his book and he's trying to get him to read it, right? Which you shouldn't do at a book signing. But anyway, um, and he's like, oh, no, I can't read it. It's a legal thing or whatever. But then he sees the cover. And the cover has this cool illustration of like this green alien chick with three tits. And he's like, three tits. Nice. And Clive's like, oh, yeah, that's Graham. He's an artist. He drew that. So um, he's impressed by the cover. He does not take the book or read it. He does sign it. He signs it, though, apparently. He signs Clive's book. Yeah. And he signs, I think, a copy of his own book as well. But yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's their interaction. We also learned that Clive has a thing for Ewoks. Yes. Oh, yeah, we do. Because we see Graham like eyeballing some Princess Leia cosplay, and then Clive is like eyeballing some Ewok cosplay. So, well, apparently he hooked up with an Ewok cosplayer at one thing in London or something. Yeah, there's a lot of ongoing jokes in this that we may skip over just because time. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of touchback on things, which is which is nice. I like it. So yeah, and so then they go back to their hotel room and they only have one bed because there was a mix-up with their room reservation but we learned that they're actually booking a rental rv because they're going to now road trip around the u.s and visit some famous science fiction slash alien locations in the western united states which honestly this is my dream vacation you go to a convention and then you get an rv and you drive around and you look at nerdy stuff i am in this is exactly what i would do with my free time i love it so much and there's another ongoing thing that happens here of where everyone thinks they're gay. Yeah, that's a constant yeah. joke. And that was, I feel like, really common in this time, too, like in the late 2000s, where like, I don't know, it was just like, it wasn't like anti-gay jokes, but like the joke is that we think you're gay, which yeah. I don't Well, there's also, and I don't know, this is part of that, too. There's that whole thing of like British or gay, like it's yes. an accent. Yeah, well, they're British and so. like. Graham calls Clive sausage. You know, he's like, oh, yeah. sausage. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> they're best friends, right? They're, they're, they've known yeah. each other since they were little kids, but yeah. And they're in touch with their masculinity because they hug each other. They're fine. Yeah. They're, I mean, definitely. They're, yeah, there's, yeah. they're not really toxically masculine. So that's good, at yeah. least. Yeah. So they get in the RV and they start road tripping around. And we see that they visit the Vasquez Rocks in California. And then they drive past Area 51. And they stop at this like alien diner. I forget what it's called, but it's like a diner with like alien pictures everywhere. And that's like the theme. And so while they're there, they buy a bumper sticker that says alien on board. And like Graham orders a malt that has like a the waitress like, do you want a sparkler? I'm going to give you a sparkler. And it's like a little alien head thing in it and like a sparkler yeah. and it's green. But unfortunately, like while she's making that, Clive goes to the bathroom and these redneck guys come in and they're like laughing. And so like Graham is sitting there. So he starts laughing because he's kind of like nervously like, ah, ha, ha, like trying to join in. And they get really cranky about it. And like, what are you laughing at? And then they obviously Clive comes out and they see the sparkler alien milkshake. And so they like 
are like, oh, what are you guys gay? Because like, yeah. And so they basically chase Graham and Clive out of the diner. Ironically, two dudes hanging out think two dudes hanging out are gay. Yeah, so. well, and like he's like, well, what is this a gay bar? And it's like, you guys walked in here. It's an alien bar. Like, just leave yeah. people alone. Like, fuck off. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, so they run out to the RV, and Graham makes sure to uh, go ahead and throw that sticker on the RV, the alien aboard, which is a rental RV. You probably shouldn't do that, but that's okay. And then as they're pulling out, Clive is trying to back the RV out, and he accidentally hits a truck which obviously belongs to the two homophobic redneck guys. So they like speed off. They're like, okay, let's get out of here. And they like rush off into the road. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, in case you don't know, the Vasquez rocks in California is a place where a lot of the alien planet scenes were filmed in the original star Trek and then subsequent iterations, including the battle that they reenact in the movie. They do. They reenact a battle from star Trek. Yeah. And then there's all these tourists watching them. And they run um, <laughs> because the people are watching them and they freak out. It's been used yeah. in countless films, TV, and music videos since, including Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. When they're and dead, dude. I've actually been there um, every year. My If you were in the TV people group of, at my high school, like we produced the new show in the morning for my, my high school, which was a thing that we did. And That's uh, when we you would... went to that high school that was all the rich kids went, huh? Yeah. I mean, my, my entire school district, I didn't realize that other people didn't get amazing field trips. I got like whale watching. <laughs> I got to learn to yeah. ski. Like we got to do all sorts of stuff. My, my school was, I was very, very privileged to live in an area with just a bunch of rich kids. Cause I was not a rich kid, but I got to do this stuff anyway. Um, so we would go to Los Angeles and we would visit TV studios and we would go on the sets of TV shows and we would meet with the writers and talk to about like writing. We'd go to post-production houses and watch them like make the bacon look pretty or add lava to Dante's peak, stuff like that. So like we would like get to go do all that stuff. So we would stop at the Vasquez rock. So I have some photos somewhere. I don't know if I can find them, but I've been there a couple of times. It's really cool. Definitely. If you're on a road trip, I recommend stopping, especially if you're a nerd, you like Star Trek. (laughs) Then they go to a place that I have honestly not heard of before called the black mailbox. But they actually kind of preview their road trip because when they're at the comic convention too, there is a model, a scale model of like the black Uh box as well. And like area 51, they kind of preview all the stuff we're going to be doing. So they each take photos of it and it's starting to get kind of dusky. And they talk about like, what if a UFO comes and you know how they would react. And then they see these headlights coming down the highway and they seem to be coming extremely fast. And if headlights can approach angrily, these are approaching angrily. Uh-huh. So they are afraid that it's the redneck coming to get them because maybe they came out and saw that their truck had got smashed and so are after them. So they jump in the RV and they drive off. By then it's like full on dark and the headlights are getting closer and closer and the vehicle comes up alongside of them and it's just a sedan. So they're like, oh, it's not the rednecks, right? <sighs> and then like it passes them and almost immediately after it passes them, it like goes off the side of the road and like, boom kind of like there's an explosion and then it comes back on the road and then flips over and goes over the other side of the road and it's like on fire and they're like Wah! so they stop and try to help and like there's no one in the car like the car is managed to like land normal wise like the doors open and like there's a little bit of fire that kind of stuff but no one's in it and they're like you know, what should we do and so they're like well, we should maybe call for help so they're getting ready to make a phone call and then we hear this voice saying like I wouldn't do that if I was you. And they're like, what? And we see like a cigarette light. And it's probably the cigarette smoking man. Probably, <gasps> probably William B. Davis right there. Probably. He's going to arrest them for looking at the black mailbox. 
Yep. And so out from the darkness steps an alien smoking <gasps> a cigarette. And Clive just boom, faints completely. Boom, goes down. And then the alien, who we learned his name is Paul, he convinces Graham. They're like, hey, everything's fine. Like, I'm not going to probe you. I can't do any of this <laughs> stuff. Like, can we just, like, can we please get out of here? Like, I was in that car. I was trying to get away from people. People are going to be coming to get me. Let's get your buddy back in the RV and let's go. And then we find out that Clive also had wet himself when he passed out. Mm-hmm. So, but they get Clive in the RV and then they drive away. Yeah. So they leave. And then Special Agent Zoyle arrives at the car crash site. Black car, black suit. Mm. Mm, man in black yeah he informs his unseen superior the big guy that he's closing in on paul and she's like well i'm gonna send some rookie agents haggard and o'reilly to assist and set up a roadblock to stop anyone heading north he also notices a pool of liquid at the site and apparently off screen tastes it and realizes it's pissed because he's like and spits it out so Mm -hmm. we do know that there is some urine at the scene so then Clive wakes up in the RV and is freaked out and distressful of Paul. Actually attacks him and like speaks yes. Klingon to Graham. <laughs> and Paul's like, <laughs> Which Paul recognizes and is like, is <laughs> yeah, that Klingon? Like, you nerds. Yeah. Like, Which threw me off because like Paul, like he's yelling and then Paul is screaming because like Clive attacks him from behind. It's like trying to strangle him. And then we get subtitles. It's all Graham. I've got him or something like that. And I'm like, why are there suddenly sub? What's going on? And then I realized, like, oh, because I didn't get the fact that he was speaking Klingon at first. And then Paul was like, is that Klingon? And I'm like, oh, that's why we got the, and it comes up later, too. That's why we got the subtitles, because it's translating the Klingon for us. So, yeah. But then, you know, like, they explain everything to him, and he's kind of like, oh, and he's still not super, like, on it. He worries that, like, it's all part of some conspiracy. And Paul explains that the government has flooded the world with images of his face on lunchboxes, stickers, and in media to keep the public from panicking should they ever encounter his race. And I'm like, well, that obviously didn't work because Clive freaked the freak out. And like, yeah. and most people and like a, freak out and like attack the alien. Yeah, yeah, everyone pretty much faints. Like, I think Graham is the only person who doesn't faint, honestly. Mm-hmm. And a little kid that we'll meet earlier or later. Not, we won't meet him earlier. That would be time travel. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they reach the roadblock. Which, you know, they're freaked out because they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it turns out that Paul can actually turn invisible if he holds his breath. So that's like a chameleon camouflage response his race has. So basically, he does that while Clive and Graham get out of the RV and agents Haggard and O'Reilly search the RV. Actually, Agent Haggard stands outside with them and is like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, we're coming from Comic-Con. You know, we're just on a road trip. And O'Reilly searches. He does find Clive's jeans, which are soiled. And he finds Clive's book, which has been signed by Adam Shadowchild. So he's really excited because it turns out O'Reilly is actually a big fan of Adam mm-hmm. Shadowchild and like comics. And he, he like brings the book out and he's like, they met Adam Shadowchild. And, like, <laughs> and it shows him the cover. And of course, Haggard is like three tits. Nice. Because like everyone who sees yeah, that. Everyone likes the three say. tits. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but basically because all he found in the rv was this like book and the jeans that are soiled like those are the only things that are even notable they decide to let them go and you know haggard and o'reilly don't know what they're looking for either they were just told they to also a road are super and... competent <laughs> yeah yes they're rookie 100%. agents and they are very yeah yeah they're not they're not good at their jobs but basically they let them go and so they get back in the RV, Paul's able to breathe again, and they drive on. 
So they pull into an RV park for the night, and this is where they meet Ruth, and Ruth runs the RV park with her father. So they're like, you know, do you have a space? And she's like, yeah, pull into slot nine, you know, like, I'll take your passport as collateral. It'll be 25 bucks. I'll collect your money in the morning. So Clive gives her his passport. And we also noticed that Ruth wears glasses where one of the lenses is blacked out. And we'll find out later she has like macular degeneration in that eye and she's blind in that eye. So once they set up the RV, do all the hookup fun stuff you have to do when you have an RV that they don't actually show in this movie, but I'm just assuming that they do all that, they decide to relax. So like Clive is barbecuing some sausages and Paul comes out and they play some music and like there's no one around on that side of the RV. Like they're, you know, they have like, there's no one who can see them. So like he just hangs out, they kind of dance, they talk and like they're talking about like, I can't remember what exactly they're talking about, but Clive tells him that he sounds paranoid like Mulder. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I created that character. (laughs) So Paul claims that he created Fox Mulder, which I think is funny. And basically as they're doing this like barbecue party thing, Ruth is out like picking up some laundry off one of the lines. And she notices that there's a third set of feet like dancing around the fire, hanging out. But like her father calls her, she has to go in. So she can't go over and see what's going on. And the next day, Ruth goes to their RV to collect the fee. And she is like, she knows there's a third person. And she mentions like, it's okay. We don't charge by the person. And so Paul's like, oh, I'm in the bathroom, whatever. And he's in the bathroom. So she's, you know, not weirded out. But then they start talking about like religion and how she thinks the earth is like 4,000 years old or whatever. And Paul gets really mad. And so he comes out of the bathroom and she sees him and he's an alien. And so she faints. Yeah, because they're arguing through the bathroom door. Mm-hmm. And then he's finally like, oh, yeah, well, how does your religion explain this? He comes out. and then, Yeah. So. Well, she has like a shirt where it's like, God, is it Jesus shooting Darwin or something? Yeah, someone <laughs> is shooting Darwin shirt. in the head. And, and they're like, like, why would he shoot Darwin? And she's like, because of this like sacrilegious belief and his devil worship. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So they're. And so, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so they decide they need to take her with them because they can't leave her there or she'll like alert everyone that she saw this alien and she's all passed out. So they're just going to kidnap her, which doesn't seem like a great plan. It works out, but not a good plan. And Paul even says like kidnapping a Christian is worse than like harboring an alien. You're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) But they need Clive's passport, which she didn't bring to the RV with her. So like Paul goes in the house to get it. And he uses this whole, like, hold his breath invisibility thing. And he manages to find it in this, like, lockbox that's on a desk. And he pulls it out. But he looks at Clive's photo. And Clive has really long hair. And, you know, it's a dorky photo. All passport photos are awful. Mine, I look like a dead serial killer. Yeah. I mean, Clive has long hair in the movie, too. But it's, like, all big. And it's even longer and frizzy. And just it's a goofy picture. And so Yeah. And yeah. so Paul laughs. And, of course, when he laughs, not holding his breath anymore. And, unfortunately, at that moment... Moses, Ruth's father, walks into the room. He's like, what's going on? Because he thinks maybe Ruth is out there. And he sees Paul. So that's not good. Yeah. So he pulls out his gun and like is <laughs> ready to shoot. So he chases them and they like Paul runs back to the RV and they just like pull away. And yeah, he realizes yeah. that they have his daughter and he's got his gun ready to go. Yeah. So then they're driving along and Ruth wakes up and they start arguing about religion and science again. Never mind the fact that they've basically like kidnapped her. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't seem too, too freaked out by being kidnapped. 
these no, people. No, it's more about the whole like religion and science. She thinks Paul's a demon uh-huh. and like starts doing like the Lord's prayer. And he finally is like, like just fuck this. And he like just puts his hand on her forehead. And apparently that gives her like all the knowledge of the universe, or at least all the stuff that he knows about the universe. We do see an alien humping a monkey at one point. So whether that's supposed to be how humans came around, we don't know. But anyway, that knocks her out. So she passes out. And then Graham's like, what'd you do? He's like, I just give, you know, whatever. And Graham's like, really? He's like, yeah, I'll do it to you too. And he does it to Graham. And Graham's like, oh, and Graham gets all the knowledge. And Graham passes out. And then later when they wake up, she's like, oh my God, I didn't know. And she realized like a whole life is a lie and all this kind of stuff. And then he eventually also heals her eye. We do find out that his healing powers he kind of takes on whatever the damage is. So like when uh-huh. he's healing her, like his eye gets all, you know, like it's, it's like, like all cataracty and gross and that kind of stuff. Right. And so like his eye does that too, but then he's also able to then heal himself as well. Like, as yeah, he comes back to stuff. normal. So yeah. he's able to, he's able to come back from it, but his healing power does take effect. At one point they hit a bird and he brings the bird back to life and he eats it and they all get freaked out. <laughs> but they talk about like, well, can you do that with people? And he's like, I can heal wounds, but like a dead person, no, because like I take on that stuff. So I could die if I try to heal a dead yeah. person. So go away. So, so put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then they stop at this roadhouse style bar that is obviously a wretched hive of scum and villainy. And yeah, I, I got to assume <laughs> that they have not seen anything for 50 miles and aren't sure there's going to be anything else for 50 miles. Cause I don't know why else you would stop at this place. I would not. Well, also when they go in, there is like a swing band playing the cantina song from star Wars. Right. Yeah. So a, Fun little reference. There's a lot of, of little references villainy. in this movie too. Yeah. So what they don't know though, they didn't see it. Is that that truck that they smashed back at the UFO place is parked in the parking lot of this roadhouse style bar? Mm, Not good. Anyway, yeah. So Ruth decides she needs to call her dad, let her know she's okay. Just because like now, I mean, she's learning how to curse. She's looking forward to fornicating. She's all into it. She's not really great at cursing yet. She kind of just randomly throws stuff in at weird places, but she's getting better. Mm-hmm. But she does want to call her dad to let her know like, hey, I'm not dead or anything. Right. And plus, she's like, if we if I don't let him know I'm OK, he might call the police and send them after us. And that's not great. So she calls him. But Agent Zoyle and Haggard and O'Reilly have already been there because he did call the police. But instead of the police, it was them. And they had, we had this government interaction. But anyway, they tapped his phone. And so when she calls her dad, it actually is rerouted to Agent Zoyle. And so mm-hmm. he's like, who are you? Whatever. And so she finally realizes they overhear the call. And like O'Reilly's laughing because she mentioned space balls, like spaceman balls and all that kind of stuff. Because obviously when Paul goes invisible, he's wearing short most of the time. But when he's invisible, he has to take his shorts off because clothes don't turn invisible. Just he does. So he's always naked when he comes back. And so, you know. Anyway, so O'Reilly's laughing. But anyway, she hangs up on them. She just misses her dad coming out of the bathroom at the place because her dad is there too. I know. And yeah, everybody is It must be the only place in like 50 miles because like everyone yeah. is stopping there. Yeah. Yeah. But then as she's going back to Clive and Graham, the redneck dudes are there and they're basically going to rape her is what's going to happen. They're like, hey, pretty lady. And they're like, it won't take long to get done what we need to do. 
So that's they're super, super, super bad guys, honestly. But she's like, bam, gets him in the balls, boom, boom, and like runs over, and they're like, ah, then they run, and they're basically a huge bar fight because they get knocked. There's a table full of sailors, like just in their (laughs) little white sailor uniforms hanging out, and they get knocked back at one point, and the sailors, a huge bar fight ensues. And then the rednecks chase them outside, but then Paul, who was inside the RV, opens the door and is all, hey, it's probing time, and they faint, which is good because like Clive was going to try and fight them, but they like bash him in the nose and knocked him aside. So it probably wasn't going to go well. Although Ruth is pretty good at fighting, they have to say. Ruth is like, yeah, she's scrappy. The best fighter. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so thankfully they faint because they see Paul and then they're able to drive away. So that's and they good. actually hit the truck again. <laughs> yeah. And then they hit the truck again on the other Which, side when they're leaving. To be fair, yeah. those things are very hard to back up, but also, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then, we should say their truck, it is a super fancy all black brand new probably like same year model 2011 model of like one of those huge pickups four-door pickup mm-hmm. is a very expensive that is probably at least a forty thousand dollar pickup so easily yeah yeah, yeah. in in 2011 dollars so yeah yeah easily it actually looks like something you might think that men in black would be driving honestly like if they had yeah. to be like, like off-road vehicle sort of so because it's got the tinted windows all that kind of stuff so yeah but they do get away and that's great. And then they're like, oh, crap. Because like they figure, like, dude, people are going to be after us now. And so they're like, we got to go. And Paul's like, no, we shouldn't go. Because you know what? They're expecting us to go. But what they won't expect is for us to just stop and stay here. Because only an idiot would do that. And we're idiots. And so they pull <laughs> into another RV park and just park and hang out. So, yeah. Because yeah. Cause if they keep going down the road, people are just going to catch up with them. And that's going to mm-hmm. be, yeah. Yeah. So since they're parked, like they're going to be there for the night. They're like, hey, we should head into town and get some beer. I'm not sure why they didn't stay in the RV that night and then went and camped somewhere. That's what I don't understand. Well, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I guess like so maybe they want like hookups for like the sewer and the plumbing and stuff. But like, I don't know why you wouldn't just go to town, get the beer and go back to the RV. But for some reason, they go to town, they get beer, and then they go into, like, this little area in the woods. It's like a clearing, and they're just, like, hanging out. They they have a fire. They, like, smoke pot. They're talking. They're drinking. Ruth tries pot for the first time. (laughs) It's a very strong reaction to it. Yeah. And then Paul kind of, like, they start talking about, like, what happened to Paul. And he tells them that the government... Like, he basically lived in this government facility for, like, the last 60 years, and he thought he was, like, a guest, not a prisoner, but he kind of figured out then he was a prisoner. And then the government, like, has decided that he's told them everything he knows. So he is no longer useful to them alive. So the only thing they need from him now is to figure out how his camouflage and healing abilities work. And so for that, they're going to cut out his brain. Yeah, and his mind transfer stuff because he has that. Yeah. Too, so they want to figure all that out. So, yeah, luckily he had a friend on the inside who helped him plan his escape and get a call out to his people to like come pick him up. But the procedure got moved up by a day, which totally borked their plan. So, somehow during the transfer, while they were like taking him to the lab or whatever, he was able to break out and steal one of the people's cars. And that's when he was driving erratically and ran into Graham and Clyde. Yeah, apparently that was the person driving him to where he was going to get his brain cut out and he zapped him and then stole the car. Yeah. 
Yeah. So meanwhile, Hagrid and O'Reilly have at this point figured out they're chasing an alien. Like it takes them a while to figure this out, but they finally put the pieces together. Yeah. Well, they overhear some of the radio conversations mm-hmm. like because they're tuning in there because they've got earpieces and a radio. Right. And also we should mention that Ruth's dad has a police band. So he is also listening to a lot of the stuff going on, mm-hmm. which is why he knows where to go, which is why he was at the bar and everybody ends up at the bar, except for, of course, like. Zoyle and Haggerty and O'Reilly show up at the bar afterwards, but like right, and they've showed up afterwards. And like Haggard, actually, at one point, I think they were at the convenience. There's a convenience store that they stopped at to get snacks, and so like the agents are chasing them the whole time. And like a drawing had flown out of the RV, and it was a drawing of an alien. And Haggard mm-hmm. has this drawing that Graham did. And so when they get to the bar after this, like there was a bar fight, quote unquote, like there's the two rednecks who are super freaked out. And so they're in the back of an ambulance and they just, they're like super wake. And he shows them the drawing and they both freak. So like, that's another part of it where he figures out what's going on anyway. So at this point they know that they're chasing an alien and the next morning, Graham, Clive and Paul all wake up on the outskirts of town where they had that fire and Paul and Ruth has actually left a note on Graham's forehead in marker that she's gone back to the RV. So she's already back at the RV, but now it's daylight and Paul can't walk through town openly in the daylight. Well, he can, but he can't hold his breath that long because like the the street is totally crowded. Like at night it was fine because there wasn't that many people around. You could kind of like camouflage, breathe, camouflage, breathe. Mm -hmm. But now there's too many people. So exactly. Yeah. So he can't just walk like freely. He has to like, and he can't camouflage for long enough to get there. So yeah. So they end up getting him a cowboy disguise. <laughs> so like, Graham and Clive are walking along with Paul and he looks like maybe a large child in a cowboy outfit. With a big head. With a big head. And they stop at this comic book store because like it's a comic book store. They like comic books. I always stop at the comic book store. I get it. But also Clive wants to look at some prop swords because at the convention he wanted to buy one, but it was like a thousand dollars or something crazy. But yeah, it was like thirteen fifty or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so these are a little cheaper. So he wants to go in and look at them. So they go into the comic book store and while they're there, you know, like Paul has this interaction with a kid that's really cute where like he's looking at a comic with an alien on it. The kid's like, is that you? And like, yeah, they have a good discussion. Kid steals the comic. Yeah, he does. He's a little shoplifter. (laughs) And then like outside, we see Haggard and O'Reilly are in town looking for them. And O'Reilly wants to go into the comic shop because obviously he's a fan. So he walks in. And he sees Paul, but Paul's like, Paul sees him and is standing super still. So he thinks Paul's just like an alien figure that's wearing a cowboy outfit. And he's like, oh, like a nice. display item. Yeah. 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 Like a statue or a sculpture or something. Yeah. But then unfortunately, like he moves. So O'Reilly, like, you know, is like, ah, and panics and runs out. And well, he like- moves because O'Reilly, joking about the space ball thing, like reaches and like grabs mm-hmm. Paul's balls, basically. Yeah. And- like Which get again, your hands off my balls o'reilly and haggard are not great people but uh, <laughs> o'reilly panics he runs out and he's like there's an alien in there you know and haggard is like oh my gosh so he like goes in with his gun and then he sees clive standing at the register wearing an alien mask and he's like oh you're an idiot o'reilly like there's no alien there's some dude in a mask but then he also sees paul so then yeah, like Paul needs to stop smoking. He can't hold his breath as long as he needs to. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then chaos erupts, obviously. And Clive, Graham, and Paul escape. And obviously at this point, Hagrid and O'Reilly are now sure it's an alien because now they've seen the aliens. So now they mm-hmm. really know what's going on. 
And they try and tell Zoyle, like, oh, blah, blah. But, like, Zoyle's just like, no, you head back to base. I'm going to keep following the alien and tries to send them away. Yeah, at gunpoint, he, like, puts his gun to, like, Haggard's throat. And is like, no, you guys are leaving. Get out of here. Yeah. So. But, like, Haggard and O'Reilly basically, after Zoyle leaves, are like, we're going to keep pursuing this on our own. Because they're not going to follow his orders. Yeah. And yeah, that little kid, like, as this chaos is going on, the kid comes back and, like, kicks one of them. I can't remember if it's Haggard or O'Reilly. It's Haggard, because Haggard is shooting. He's openly shooting at Clive and Paul as they run away. Mm -hmm. And so the kid runs by and kicks Haggard in the leg. So, of course, that would be able to get away. So Yeah, it was pretty cool. Good kid. (laughs) Yeah, so... They manage to get in the RV. They're driving, but Paul's like, dude, this is getting crazy, like... I need to go like let me just go on my own like I can make it whatever I'm close enough now yeah yeah I'm endangering you guys and they're like you know basically they all like no we're sticking together we're doing this and Ruth is like I'll be fucked if we're not going and they're like yeah me too and then Ruth is like yeah so we're all fucked and so (laughs) she's still she's still figuring out how to use curse words like I said she's getting better yeah but she's still working on it but anyway so they think they're going to where Paul's ship is going to come pick him up, but they end up at this farmhouse and then they have to stop. He wants them to stop. Paul wants them to stop like away from the farmhouse. Like, no, don't go any closer. I don't want anything to happen. So this is the house that we saw in the very opening in 1947 in Wyoming. And Paul, Graham and Clive go to the door and knock on the door. And the person inside is like, what do you want? You know, leave me alone. And they're kind of like, my name is Graham Willie, Clive Gosling, and we want to speak to you about the alien craft that crashed here 60 years ago. And she kind of like opens the door a little bit. And then Paul is there. She sees Paul and so realizes what's going on. And so she lets them all in. They go in and she basically tells them like because of Paul, like what happened? Because she she apparently like took Paul out of the crashed ship and like took care of him. And like until like the government agent showed up and they took Tara away and like tested her and everything and obviously they took Paul but and then after that no one believes her story so she's basically been living like her life as like you know people think she's a crazy person lived her life as a pariah no one wants to be around her, so she's all by herself she goes to make them tea but then gets distracted talking to Paul because she, she's kind of mad at Paul because like you know it's kind of like ruined her life like one killed her dog but then also like the whole like you know she's no one believes her she's like a joke kind of thing. Well, and she also says like she just can she had like really recently convinced herself that it was all made up and then she didn't really see it. Yeah, and now so here she didn't he even is. know. So at least now she knows it's true. Mm-hmm. Also, he goes into his bag and he pulls out her little teddy bear that she was holding. So apparently she gave that to him when he crashed. But anyway, but she was trying to light her stove because she's got like an old fashioned stove, and then they start talking and she forgets about it. And then Zoyle Hagger and O'Reilly arrive. And O'Reilly flings a smoke bomb through the window and it's got an axe like going through the window and like they come through the front door. They've already started heading out. And then Paul, at one point, Paul jumps oil and gives him like the mental whammy and like knocks him down. And then O'Reilly shoots at them through a window as they're leaving because he's in the house. But because the stove never got lit, the gas has been going. So him shooting the gun causes the house to completely explode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just... It's just... Yeah, yeah, there's like a giant blowout. So obviously O'Reilly is not dead. Yeah, O'Reilly was in the house, so not yes. great. Then Haggard and so I, I did Haggard steal Zoyle's car because then yeah, he's talking I, on the radio with the big guy. 
I so, thought so, but then but Zoyle then later Zoyle's in a car talking with the big guy. I think guy Zoyle too, maybe so took sure. their car because they obviously came separately, and he didn't want them there. So I don't know who got there first, but like, yeah, I think Haggard steals Zoyle's car, and then Zoyle just okay. steals their car. Yeah, because Zoyle would know how to contact the big guy, so it makes right. sense that he's talking to her later. But Haggard wouldn't. But then Haggard is talking to her on the radio, so. Yeah, but anyway, he's pursuing the RV, and then Ruth's father is also in pursuit because he has the radio. He's hearing all the stuff, right? And then at one point, like he gets alongside Haggard, and Haggard's like, "Stand down! This is not your thing." And he's like, "No, that's I'm on a mission from God." His brother's <laughs> reference. Yeah. And Haggard <laughs> whoops out his gun and shoots him like boom through the window, and so man, Haggard is like determined. He finally catches up to the RV. And he gets alongside them and they finally decide like, they're like, it's a rental. They're like, we don't care. So they you know, ram him with the RV kind of thing. But then he's totally trying to shoot Paul through the window. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? And then he's like, oh, look out, dude. And we cut and we see that they're going on a, like across a chasm. And of course, Haggard is alongside of them. So he's not on the bridge. So he whoo, goes into a big ravine and his car explodes. So mm-hmm. he's obviously dead too. And Tara's like, yep. is he going to be okay? And Paul's like, uh, yeah, yeah. He'll be and then there's fine. a big explosion. So and he's like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. But then Zoyle is also pursuing them. And then he assures the big guy that he just needs like another hour to take care of it. And she's like, I'm tired of waiting. And so she's going to send in, you know, her own other team. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not looking great. Yeah. So earlier, like they were like, where are you going to meet your ship or whatever? And he was like, you'll know it when you see it. So then they pull up in front of Devil's Tower National Monument. And both Graham and Clive were like, oh, because obviously yeah. they've seen Close Encounters and they're kind. And so he's like, I told you, you'd know it when you saw it. So there you go. Yeah. And so they go into like an open field and they set off fireworks to signal Paul's mothership that they can like come yeah. down and get him. And they had stolen these fireworks because they wanted to, they needed fireworks to signal the ships. They were going to go buy fireworks. And then Clive had spent all his money on the sword that he bought for $300 and the fireworks were $300. So he opened his wallet and it's empty. And so they just like grabs it and runs. And the phone call from the fireworks shop is actually what got everybody on their path. In the yeah. Scene. Because so, the three, two guys yeah. just grabbed the fireworks. Yeah. yeah. We kind of left that out, but that was a thing that happened. Yeah. There's a so, lot going on. Sometimes it's hard to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a long movie. It's fun, but yeah. a lot happens. It's 109 minutes. So, yeah. So they set off the fireworks. It's pretty. They're in awe. And then we see these lights kind of. And then we see Zoyle has also arrived. And he's like <gasps> watching through the trees and he sees the lights coming. And he's like, oh, no, you don't. And starts like marching towards the field. And yeah, he's obviously, got a big gun too. Yeah. And our heroes like see the lights and, and they look at them. But then after a minute, Paul's like, wait a minute. And it's not his ship, it's a helicopter. <gasps> so the helicopter lands and a bunch of agents run out. And then the big guy exits. And as we know, the big guy is played by Sigourney Weaver. And she had told Zoyle that she was going to some fancy event. So she's wearing like this green cocktail dress. And Zoyle comes through the brush and he aims his gun, but he doesn't shoot at Paul or our guys. He shoots at the agents who are like aiming guns at them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty good. Takes out all three of them. Yeah. 
And they like shoot back and someone hits him in the shoulder. Do, do one of the agents get him or does she get him? I forget because she has a giant revolver. I don't actually remember, but she does. Might have been the big guy who shoots him in the shoulder, but he gets shot in the shoulder. And then we learn that Zoyle was actually the inside man and Paul's friend who tried to arrange his escape. Apparently, Paul introduced Zoyle to his wife and they've been friends mm-hmm. for years. And then a fight ensues. And so like, you know, they, they managed to like get the, I think Tara actually jumps on the big guy and knocks her over. And so like, well, takes her because Clive tries to get her with a sword, which immediately breaks before he even gets it out of the scabbard, which Paul said was going to happen. It's like, it's cheap. It's going to break first time you try yeah. to use it, which it did. And then Graham also like just gets knocked aside or something at one point. Ruth jumps on her back, but then gets flipped over. But then Tara like, just like you bitch. And like, Boom, smacks her in the head. And then it's like, ah, my hand <laughs> yeah. knocks her out. So, yeah. So, again, the women are mm-hmm. the badasses in this movie. So, uh-huh. yeah. which I appreciate. Thank you, Simon Pegg yeah. and Nick Frost. Thank you. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, whew, we knocked out the big guy. The agents are all on the ground with their gunshot wounds. Everything's fine. But then Ruth's father arrives. And he has his Bible, which we can see has a bullet in it. So, clearly, that stopped Haggard's bullet. So, that's why yeah because Hagger totally shot him so mm-hmm. yeah and he has his gun and he's like walking towards him and ruth is just like dad go away and like he shoots at paul but paul moves out of the way and the blast hits graham in the chest yeah and he's got a shotgun yeah it's a big shotgun wound yeah. it's very gaping and like at first graham is like oh that was close and then he looks down and he's like oh and so then you know he falls over and he starts telling Clive, this has been the best trip of his life. He's had so much fun, like whatever. Like, obviously he's dying. Mm -hmm. And Ruth is just like, dad, drop the fucking gun. (laughs) She's just done. And he's so surprised mm -hmm. he kind of does. And then Paul's like, well, and he like rubs his hands together. And Zoyle's like, no, you can't do that. Because Zoyle knows what he's going to do. But he uses his healing powers to heal Graham. And we see like the wound open in his chest as he's like healing Graham's wound. And Graham's wound closes, one starts opening in Paul's chest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And after he finishes, like the effort of it is so much, it actually like he flies backward, like it actually like knocks him backwards. And he Mm -hmm. just kind of lies there really still. And there's like this horrible moment where they think maybe he's dead, but then he like kind of blinks and coughs and he's he's okay. Phew. So that's really yeah. and Graham's also okay, yeah. Except for his Empire Strikes Back t-shirt is ruined because that's one of the things he says that when he as he's dying, he's like, I love this shirt. Because <laughs> it's blowing a big hole in his shirt. So yeah. yeah. Shirt didn't get fixed. No. This isn't the X-Files. And then obviously Moses, Ruth's father, is like in awe because he just saw this miracle. So he's like, he doesn't know what to think. But clearly he thinks it's some kind of sign from God, probably. Yeah. And then Graham and Ruth kiss because he's alive and everything seems like once again, it's okay. Yeah, because Graham and Ruth have had this awkward kind of like, actually, the first time Graham sees Ruth when she comes to get like, okay, it's going to be $25 and I need like ID to hold for the night. Graham is just infatuated with her. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. And so. Yeah, they've had this flirting going on, too, the whole time. Yeah, so, she yeah. kissed him at one point when she realized like everything was a lie. She's like, I can kiss and fornicate and all that kind of stuff. And she grabs him and he's like, oh, and so, yeah. And they've been trying to. Yeah. So but they're awkward. They're awkward young people. They don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So everything's great. Yay! Yay! Except it's not great because then we hear a gun cocked and it's the big guy. She's woke up and she's got her gun right at them. <gasps> and she's like, hmm, so much for that. But then boom, this big alien ship lands on her and the landing <laughs> stuff crushes the her. landing gear actually just dead. crushes her just right on top. Yeah, just right on top. And then we see Paul's little alien people are like helping up the fallen agents. And one of them is hosing off all this blood off the landing gear. <laughs> and then as he's leaving, he's like, Tara, come on, you're coming with me. Like I ruined your life on earth. So I'm going to give you a new life. And she's like, I don't have my toothbrush. And he's like, well, we're going baby. You don't need teeth, which I guess is supposed to, I don't know anyway, but yeah. So she goes with them. It's pretty terrifying. Actually. Paul waves by. <laughs> As she's getting on, he's like, hey, hey, no, she's with me. She's with me. And then he starts saying something aliens. I don't know if they're like getting ready to like start doing alien stuff to her or what. He's all <laughs> talking in alien talk. That's another thing, too, because when they first meet him, Graham's like, are you using some kind of like mind to talk to me? It's like, no, I'm fucking talking to you in English, dumbass. Like, he's just, <laughs> I don't think Graham's like, that was mean. And he's like, yeah, okay, that was a <laughs> yeah, because Paul far. is very. Yeah, Paul is very rude. Many times people talk about how Paul is very rude. They're like, yeah, he's not really scary. He's just kind of rude. (laughs) He's just rude. Yeah. So he's saying goodbye to them and they're like waving and and like, and then he's like, oh, these ships, they take off super slow. I can't know. He's like, can you guys hurry it up? This has been dragging out for a long time. It's like slowly rising up. So, but it finally closes all up and flies away. And everyone's like, wow. So, yeah. And then it's two years later. Actually, the credits actually start. And then it's one of those things where like the credits kind of run as the scene is going, which I actually am kind of a fan of the way they do that. The way this movie ends. Yeah. Not all movies can do it, but the way it's done here, I actually kind of like that when that kind of thing happens. Yeah, I did so, too. I thought it, it was really effective this time for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we get all over the world by the Electric Light Orchestra, ELO, from the Xanadu soundtrack. So I was really happy to hear the song. Anyway, it's two years later. And Graham and Clive and Ruth are at San Diego Comic-Con. Ruth is actually dressed up in the bounty hunter disguise of Princess Leia. And she like meets up with Graham and Clive. And Graham is like, who's this? And she's like, someone who loves you. Princess Leia <laughs> line. So we get another Star Wars reference. And then we find out that Graham and Clive are actually not just at the Comic-Con. They are like, they have their own panel. Yeah. They're, they're guests. guests. They are actually introduced by, by Adam Shadowchild who we also learn at one point when they first meet him at the original Comic-Con, like two years earlier, he like says something to them. And it's like, they're like, whoa, who said that? And he's like, I just said it. We found out later that Paul told him that line because he says the same thing. I'm like, hey, that's what Adam Middlechild said. And he's like, oh, that dick, he stole my line. <laughs> so he's obviously been getting his books from Paul the whole time because Paul has been basically the reason behind what we have all this alien media. Anyway, so yeah, they're, they've written a multi- Nebulan award-winning illustrated novel entitled Paul. Yeah, and it's been best-selling and now... Sometimes we all feel a little alien. Yeah, and now they're on a panel promoting it, which is really exciting. Yeah, and the waitress from the restaurant is there, and she thinks Ruth is actually kind of hot. He mentions <laughs> it like, because Ruth is like, oh, you're Patty from the first chapter. He's like, yeah, and you're Ruth. I didn't realize you were so pretty. And he was like, oh, well, you know, if I wasn't in these clothes, she's like, I think I'd like to see that. And Ruth is like, hmm, I can't. I know. Yeah. She, she kind of thinks about it. Though, but then she's like, oh no, I can't. I'm, I'm with, because she's, yeah. she's with Graham now. So yeah. yeah, it's funny. It was a funny scene. And the waitress is played by Jane Lynch, by the way, who is, yeah, I love Jane is, Lynch. So yeah, she is. Great. No, she is great. Yes. 
And then we also find out in the audience, in addition to Patty and Ruth, O'Reilly's there. He looks messed up, <laughs> but he's there. He's like clapping. His face is all burned and everything. He's like, I know these guys. Yay. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So he didn't die. So nerd power. Yeah. He's strong. Yeah. And then it's over. Yep. That's the end. Happy ending. They wrote their book. They got it published. Now they're famous and they're at Comic-Con. They're at San Diego Comic-Con. That's big. That's a big deal. So good for them. Yeah. Oh, I miss conventions so much. (laughs) (laughs) I miss them so much. I was really burned out on conventions for a while because I did so many in like a short span of time. And like I was running programming for one and I was doing like panels for some of them. And so like I was just doing a lot of stuff at conventions. And then after a while, I just kind of hit a limit where I'm like, oh, can't do any more conventions. But then COVID hit and they really couldn't do conventions. And now I'm like, man, I really miss conventions. Yeah, I don't know. I always. I am not a people person. I mean, you have <laughs> I'm shocked. social stuff too, right? But like I have like social anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I always want to go to a convention. And then I also realized that if I went, I would not be happy because like just the, the crowds and stuff would just, I would just be, it would drive me insane. Um, one of my biggest regrets probably is that in 2018, I actually had a room reserved. I had airline tickets and I had the ticket to go to a Comic-Con in, was it the Phoenix? It was in Arizona. I think it was in Phoenix. Okay. But then I just, I started getting more and more anxious as time was going. I was also working a very, like I had the time off from work, but I was working a very mental and physical exhausting job. Mm-hmm. And so I would just realize, like, I, even though it would, I had the time off already, I just I couldn't go. So I ate the airline ticket. The convention ticket was like thirty five dollars. So that was nothing. And the room rental was like it was just like you reserve it and then you could cancel without any charge. So that wasn't mm-hmm. a problem. So I ate the airline ticket, which was like three hundred dollars, I think, round trip or something. So I didn't lose a lot of money. But I regret not going because in addition to meeting one of my internet friends who's a comic book person because we've never met in person being able to do that i have a signed poster from the colorist who worked on the question well actually the it's the colorist who worked on the poster for the question they actually didn't work on the question richmond lewis and that poster is drawn by dennis cohen and then the question was written by danny o'neill both dennis cohen and danny o'neill were going to be at that convention So I was going to take that poster and get them to sign it too, because then I'd have, I'd have everybody but the inker on the poster, which maybe I could maybe get that at some point too, maybe possibly. Um, But then I didn't go and I was like, Oh, it's fine. No, it's fine. Um, And then Danny O'Neill died. So that's never going to happen again. So I kind of regret not going, but just, just, yeah. Social anxiety is a bitch sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like the really big ones, like I can't go to Emerald city comic-con. It's too big for me. I went 2014. I want to say might've been the year before. And I did a panel there one year. I can't remember what year with some other urban fantasy people. I think I was moderating the panel. I can't remember what the panel was, but it was just so crowded. And like when they get to be that big, like it's not that you can't have fun, but it's that everything you're going to do at the convention requires you standing in a two to three hour line. 
easily. Yeah. And I just, I'm too old and tired and cranky to stand in a line for three hours to do one thing and then have to do that thing and then go stand in another line for two to three hours to do something else. Like, it's just really like, you can have a lot of fun there, but like you crowds do after a while wear on me. And so like, I, I need to be able to go back to my hotel room and like chill out and just get away from people after a while. I do like the smaller ones. And there are a couple in, in your area that I go to or I try to go to like Oricon, which is the sci-fi fantasy convention. Norwest Con here is pretty reasonable. There's It's big, but it's not like overwhelming. Yeah, um, I mean, Rose City Comic Con is at the convention center, which is like walking yeah. distance from where I live. But I've never gone, even though a couple of years ago, Sam Jones was there. Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, and but that's another big one where, like, so. he, my, one of my friends goes every year, and he and his wife go, and they have a great time. But and I've never been to Rose City Comic Con, so I don't know how it compares, like, busyness wise. I just know once a convention hits a certain level of like, we have this many people every day, it's like even before COVID, it's just so overwhelming, and like, you can't see anything in the dealer's room because you're just getting pushed around and it's everything is just a crowd and it does after a while you're just like ah but it can be fun and it's really more fun if you have friends that are there because then you can meet up with people and like it doesn't really matter if you're not able to get into the panel or whatever because you have pals that you're hanging out with and so that's more fun than just like going by yourself but i do love i do love a convention and i do hope to go to more conventions in the future I do miss them because there's just a really fun energy that happens at conventions and like you get to meet all sorts of fun people. And also you just, I mean, I don't know. It's just fun. It's, it's the kind of energy you don't get anywhere else. So it's, it's a good time. I mean, once we blow up and have to do our own panels because of, I want to rewatch an X-Files mm-hmm. podcast. And, yeah. You know. I mean, I've done plenty of panels before, so I'm <laughs> ready and willing. I know how they work. <laughs> just saying, throwing that up into the universe. Yeah. I have to say, I did not go into this movie with I'd never I'd never seen this movie before. You suggested this movie because when we were talking mm-hmm. about doing all the UFO stuff, we were like, "Would we do something else?" Because we were trying to like you know just hit some different periods and types kind of thing, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like I love those movies, and so like I'd never seen this one though, and I didn't go into it with high expectations just because I mean it's not an Edgar Wright one to begin right. with, so he's not directing. It's not part of the Coronetto series. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, it, cause actually that whole series, that, that's Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright are the writers mm-hmm. on that. And then Edgar Wright's the director. So we've right. got Frost and Pegg writing this one and then someone else directing it. I'm not a huge fan of Seth Rogen. I also don't really give a crap about him so much that if I didn't know this was Seth Rogen, like if I had not seen the credits or heard anything about this and you just showed me this movie, I would not be like, oh, that's Seth Rogen. Okay. I will say the voice did seem not right to me coming out of that body. Oh, okay. Through the course of the movie, it worked. It was fine. It just didn't seem like the, I don't, I don't know what the right voice would be, but yeah. like the first time I hear it, I'm like, that's kind of like incongruent, but it worked. All the dialogue seemed to work. I don't know how much he had to do with the dialogue or it was, that was all Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, whatever, but like nothing. It was just, it just at, throughout the course of the movie, it, it was fine. It didn't bother me. But at first it was kind of like, Ooh, that doesn't seem like the right voice for that face. But I, long story short, I really, really like this movie. I'm glad I watched oh, cool. it. Recommending it. I'm glad you like it. It had all, as we've talked about many times with Darren Morgan, right? It probably has more references in it than like a Darren Morgan episode. Oh yeah, but they're but they're done different. That's the thing; they're done differently. Mm-hmm. And like with the Jose Chung, because Jose Chung 
and Clyde Bruckman are such different episodes that I can't really say which one I prefer of those two. I like them both. But I like I mentioned when we talked about Jose Chung and when in communion as well, the thing with the Jose Chung one, I think a lot of the stuff that I really would have liked about that episode had already was kind of like diminished by the fact that he does that in all his episodes. And so yeah. it didn't seem like something new or special. It was like, oh, this is what he always does. He can't help himself. It just it, it works in this one. So also, I will say Adam Shadowchild, I think, is also maybe possibly a Whitley Strieber thing. The hat and the glasses is a Whitley Strieber thing. I saw that in the movie. That was a real life thing, too. I don't know what kind of books he is. He sounds like he's writing sci-fi, but I don't know what kind of sci-fi. If it's alien sci-fi, I mean, obviously he's in touch with Paul at some point. So maybe. Yeah, they mentioned um, his book titles and one of them at least sounds like there's an alien fight going on. But yeah, it's not. It, it does yeah. sound kind of like campy sci-fi. But he does kind of have a little bit of that thing. Maybe that's just me making connections don't exist too. Yeah, or it so. might. I don't know. I mean, I know that Simon Pegg yeah. is very like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are both. They're nerds. They're giant nerds. Yeah. So no. Would not be surprised. If, if they had been able to get Charles Nelson Raleigh for that role, I think that would have been amazing. Um, it's, <gasps> that it's not a very so big good. role. Yeah, I mean, Charles Nelson Raleigh had died by that point, unfortunately. Yeah, it would have been so good. So though. The person who is in that role I, I've always kind of liked him. He is now problematic because of things that have yeah. come out about him. He plays so. the dad on. Um, he plays George Bluth on Arrested Development, and a lot of the problems. Yeah, well, yeah. he was in Transparent as well. He mm-hmm. also, I may, I know him from The Ropers way back okay. when. He was like the Ropers' neighbor, the Three's Company spinoff. So yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's also a very small part. There's not a lot to it. No. It could be anybody, really. Yeah, we see him there, and then at the end, he's kind of he's kind of patting his intro, and like they're friends of mine. And they're kind of like, he's like, oh, hey, wrap it up, come on, let the real people come out. So, yeah. yeah. But if they had been able to get Charles Nelson Raleigh for that, that would have been another like extra oomph because I do think Jose Chung is kind of Whitley Strieber thing too. So, but no, I really I like this movie a lot. When the ELO came on with the end credits, I was so just. I'm a big fan of Xanadu soundtrack the movies bonkers, but I really like ELO. And so that was something as we're recording this, I am trying to transition myself out of Christmas music. I really love Christmas music. Um, oh. we were, yesterday I just took down the Christmas tree. Okay. Finally. And so I've been trying to transition to Christmas music. This ELO song came on. And as soon as I finished watching the movie, boom, Played that song, did a playlist based on it, and was just like dancing around the kitchen, having breakfast, listening to ELO and a bunch of other similar music, and it was great. And it was a nice transition, so it really made me happy. Nice. I wish they could have run the song through the whole credits. They don't. They do another song, and then they go into like the orchestral score kind of stuff that mm-hmm. didn't transition like into weird cowboy music, like Western kind of stuff, but whatever. But yeah, no, I was I liked the movie a lot, so thank you for making me watch it. Yeah, no problem. I mean, it's one of those movies that like I saw in theaters. I've seen it four or five times maybe throughout the years like just it's been on tv or i just randomly watched it it had been a while since i'd seen it it's definitely the kind of movie like it's at probably the top of my tolerance level like this is about as much as i can take movies that go further than this with like the crude like i don't mind the joke about the three tits that's fine i don't mind the random swearing but like i think sometimes there were some things where i was like ah uh, if they had gone farther with it i would have been like because I get really uncomfortable when stuff gets really, really crude. And I know like some of the, I haven't seen super bad, but I, I imagine like, I know bridesmaids had a lot of that really crude humor too. And like, that's fine. Yeah. The people like and that's it. A, and that's a time period thing too, me. I think. 
Yeah, it so. is. And I think that's kind of like not really my thing. So this is kind of at the top of my I can tolerate, but I really enjoy this movie. And even just rewatching it this time, I was like, oh yeah, this movie is just really fun. It's a fun movie about two nerds on an RV road trip <laughs> and everything goes wrong. Or does it go right? Yeah, and they just it's fun. It's a fun movie. And I would definitely watch. I mean, I'll watch Simon Pegg and Nick Frost do pretty much anything, but this is a really fun one. So it's a yeah. good time. Is it, I do, I, timeline-wise, I was thinking where this, what I wouldn't look, and this actually falls in between Hot Fuzz and The World's End. Mm-hmm. Even though, like we say, it's not part of the Cornetto trilogy. No, it's just something they did in between. Yeah, because World's End was 2013. Okay. And Hot Fuzz was 2007. Okay, that makes sense. Shaun the Dead was 2003. Simon Pegg was also doing all his Star Trek stuff in between, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But I did not realize, in my head, I did not realize how big a gap there was between Hot Fuzz and The World's End. That is a pretty big, yeah, there's a six-year gap there. So Yeah, it's a really long one. Yeah, no, but it's good. I like it. I like it Yay. a lot. I like it a lot, a lot. It almost makes me think that maybe at some point... This was on uh, Jeff and I were going to do the trilogy. And I don't know that maybe we need to do the trilogy, but the world's end is like an alien invasion thing. It is. Yeah. And also that is my favorite of the three. Oh, is it? Yeah. I think part of it, my favorite is because like in the first movie, I think you're, you're kind of supposed to identify with Sean, right? Mm Because he's got like the dead end job, that kind of stuff. And Ed is kind of like the goofy dorky, you know, layabout right just plays video games he doesn't really mm-hmm. do much right and then in hot fuzz it's all like propaganda parody kind of stuff so like i don't know that i would identify with either of those characters but with the world's end it's when you take simon Pegg's character of gary and then you take nick frost's character it's basically like you split me in two like you like <laughs> okay. i'm superman red and blue it's like you took the two main parts of my person and split them into two characters and so yeah so and just i think the story works really well and that kind of stuff so yeah i haven't seen that one as much because i did see it in theaters but like obviously Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz have been out longer so i've seen them more times yeah yeah and then when that one came out i was like that's when i started my campaign of how we need to just like deep fake daniel craig in for pete in Shaun of the Dead because then you have <laughs> a James Bond in each of the three movies. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. I think you could totally do that. I think you could just put Daniel Craig's <laughs> face on Pete. Nothing against the guy who's acting. He does a fine job, but like that would be the character that would fit, right? If yeah. Daniel Craig was Pete, you'd have a James Bond as like the villain in each of the movies. So <laughs> that is the one connection that is missing of all the yep. different connections between the three movies. Yeah. So. Anyway, yeah, but no, I like this a lot. Thank you. Cool. Well, there's another movie I suggested we watch, which we may get to at some point, right. which is the 2011 movie Attack the Block, which also was also 2011. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Nick Frost is in that movie. Um, it was actually recommended. I think it was Sarah Reese Brennan, who's an author, was talking about it on Twitter. And she she lives in the UK. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of that. So I looked it up. And along with Nick Frost, it stars Jodie Whittaker, who will later go on to play the 13th Doctor in Doctor Who. 
And John Boyega, who obviously will go on to star in the new Star Wars movies. This is when he was very young. He plays like a teenager. Yeah. 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 And the movie is actually about a group of teens in South London, and they're basically defending their block from an alien invasion. And Nick Frost is in the movie. So, yeah, I was like, yeah. that would be a fun. And movie. it has I, I've never seen it. I'd heard I, I knew about it when it came out because Mark Kermode had reviewed it and gave it a really good review, I believe. Yeah, it's so, really um, good. It's a fun, entertaining movie. Yeah, it's well done. Yeah, but I've never seen it. So. Yeah, that might be something we can do. But again, 2011, same year. Yeah. Also in 2011, Simon Pegg said that he would love to do a sequel to Paul and he would call it Paul's. So hmm, what's going on there? Multiples, right? But that in order to make it, production costs would definitely need to be lower for them to be able mm-hmm. to consider. I don't know if that's because like all the US stuff or what, but just like in overall, like movies just cost too much to make. However, on August 13th of 2021, during an Instagram live stream, he stated, I guess there was a question about it. And he stated there was no chance of a Paul sequel ever happening. Yeah, that's too bad. Although the story is very contained. Yeah. Like, I would go see a sequel. I think it would be fun. I'm sure they would do a good job with it. But, I mean, the story is pretty good. <laughs> it doesn't need anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. So it works out. Also, I just thought it was interesting, like, in the show Space that Simon Pegg did a very long time ago. He also plays an artist who draws comics. So he plays an artist who draws comics in this one too. Maybe that's just, I mean, I would love to be an artist who draws comics. So if I were writing myself into movies, that would be something I'd probably write about myself. So I thought that I think it's interesting that Clive is the writer and Graham is the artist because usually Simon, I mean, Simon Pegg, he is playing like the lead of the two. He almost always is the lead of the two in the movies. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Nick Frost character is kind of used like this, not, not sort of the sidekick, but he is like, I don't want to say the lesser, but like, he is not like the leader of the group. Right? He's not the, the lead protagonist, right? Yeah. He's like a main character, but yeah. Whereas a lot of people would think of the writer as like the driving force of something like that. As far as story creation, I think that's true. I guess it depends because if you go into the whole Stan Lee stuff, and that's a little slow, I won't get into that. But yeah, I mean, artists do a lot of work. I mean, they're not doing comic books; they're doing like illustrated novels. So obviously, mm-hmm. in comic books, the writer the writer has a much easier job in comic books, no matter how detailed your scripts are, because you can write. Even if you're writing a super detailed script, you can do that in like a few days if you have the story. But like you cannot draw a full comic book. There's just a time constraint. Like it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work involved. Yeah. So I always, I always try to, and unfortunately comic book artists are, they tend to get left off a lot when people talk about comic books, you'll actually see like the art for a comic book and they will only talk about the writer like on Twitter. Yeah. A lot of people time. talk about fractions, Hawkeye and like they don't mention David Ajaya or mm-hmm. um, Adja. I don't know how to say his name, but like yeah. the artist who did like who gave it the aesthetic, which then Marvel took for the Hawkeye show and mm-hmm. did not give him credit or money. For. Yeah, I think well, they always did hear, give him credit eventually. Yeah, but. you always hear. And this is actually going to lead into uh, the movie. You always hear like you hear about the Walking Dead stuff. You always hear um, Robert Kirkman, but you never hear mention of like the artist on the on the original comic book series like that. So who actually drew the X-Files comics way back when as well. Interestingly, so at one point we do see Graham wearing an Invincible t-shirt, which was written by Robert Kirkman Uh and was drawn by Corey Walker and then Ryan Otley. Apparently, I have not confirmed this, but supposedly Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley are the three agents with the big guy at the end. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. The bald one does look, I had to do some freeze framing. He does look like Cory Walker. Okay. I cannot say for sure there is Cory Walker, but he does look like Cory Walker. I have not seen Robert Kirkman. I usually see pictures of him with facial hair and none of the agents have facial hair. And often you don't see their face a lot because for the most part, they're wearing like helmets and like yeah, goggles and stuff. Really but him. you do get to see the one guy, especially towards the end, he has his helmet off and, he's, and he looks like Corey Walker. And he is the one that gets shot, I think, second. He's the one back by the helicopter. And so you see his face a little bit more before he gets shot. And he kind of looked like Corey Walker there. And when they showed him later without the helmet, I was like, oh, that could be Corey Walker. I'm not sure. But that's like, it's a, it's a cameo thing. They do use Invincible in the show. And again, we talked about like Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are nerds. So maybe, I don't know. But there is unsubstantiated reports that they were the three agents. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I would, I yeah, re- I recommend this movie. Yeah. I think it's fun. It's a fun alien based film to hang out and watch. It's a good like eat some popcorn and chill out with your friends. I was put off a little bit when it opened because the opening scenes that we get in 1947 Wyoming, everything looked really clean. Like it was just because obviously we've talked about those next files, right? It didn't have that film look. It had that super digital look. Like Mm -hmm. everything was just super clean and everything. And then after that happens, we just get like the title Paul, but it's like, like, got like 3D animated, like closing of like a, you know, like it's supposed to be like you'd be locked in like Area 51 or whatever. It's like, like all the barriers closing and then they uh-huh. close it. It says Paul across it. I was kind of like, uh, but the rest of it was fine. And yeah. So just the very first part seemed a little too, a little too clean <laughs> for my taste. Totally. That. Yeah. So. Whoa. All right. So I guess we're going to have to rent an RV and go on a road trip. I'm good. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So that'd be, I guess they would have to be three of us and four cats. <laughs> that'd be a lot so. in one RV, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that would be too you, many cats. Me, for my the wife, RV. <laughs> Billy and Locke, Frankie and Sam. Yeah. Too many Probably cats. Probably not get our deposit RV. back. No, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right well i don't know we'll figure something out <laughs> <laughs> all righty well that was paul thanks for listening and thank you for supporting us on patreon we appreciate you and uh we'll talk to you next time yeah we hope you enjoyed this and we hope you enjoy the other stuff we have coming up yay yeah you should because <laughs> it's some nice stuff definitely Definitely, definitely, definitely X-Files adjacent. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And then, I don't know, the other, the other stuff, we'll have to go looking for something. Maybe there's something we can go in search of to talk about in the other <laughs> bonus episode. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. We'll see. Bye. Bye. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Episode production design and editing is by Lizian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, 
tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if the the truth truth is is still out there. there. is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Look at you like a fucking professional just rolling yeah, right, right into in. Shit. Right into the Man, I'm like, I gotta get to the right screen. <laughs> so so we don't forget. Right. <laughs> we don't forget to do that. We don't have a 40 minute conversation where we're like, oh fuck. We didn't actually uh, do the credits. We talked for like we okay, we didn't forget to do the end credits last time, but we talked for like 45 minutes after we finished yesterday. Yeah, we did. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway.